in the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see your bite. Let me see your scars. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to All We Hear is Purple, the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. I am Andrew Berg and joining me tonight on a happier note this week, it's Gaby Lucas. Gaby, how are you doing? I'm good. I have two stoned kittens right next to me right now, which frankly, of all the things that you could have, that's pretty all right. I'm not going to yeah. elaborate on why. Yeah, it's, it doesn't need any explanation. Uh, the last couple of times we talked, it was pretty dire. Actually, the last time we talked uh, and then previously when Max was on the podcast, things were looking bad. Uh, this week, they look better. Uh, we're coming off a triumphant 52-3 to Arkansas State win over Arkansas State. It's strange. We do a, a prediction every week on our blog where most of the writers will submit a prediction and then... Uh, we aggregate the prediction scores. And even though the Huskies were only favored, I think by 16 and a half points in the end, every one of us picked Arkansas state to cover instead, they weren't even in the realm of having covered. Uh, it was an absolute beatdown. Everything in this game looked different. There was more play action in the offense than in the first two weeks combined. Uh, Jalen McMillan came back into the lineup after just making a cameo against Michigan and, absolutely dominated the passing game. We saw Sean McGrew. We saw, saw Kamari Pleasant. Uh, John Donovan sat in a different place, if that matters. What of this, Gaby, matters to you? What do you think will stick from what we saw in this game? And what was more kind of limited to this one outburst? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like I've talked about in the past, I'm a, I like sample size. So I a, I'm glad that we saw this game just as an example of the staff's willingness to adapt. Granted, that's after exhausting all other possibilities. But um, so I like that. Obviously, you know, everything that you said, I, I do want to see them commit to until until we see this kind of approach offensively for at least a couple more games. I'm still going to kind of be clenching leading up to Cal and probably whoever we're playing next week, I don't look at schedules just because, because we all know how coaches are that they like to revert back to their, you know, their comfort food. And what, if that's, if that's 22 personnel and running at the A gap, then that's what, you know, that's what it is. And we saw that a little bit, I feel like at the beginning middle of of the second half this week is like John, that they got a little bit more conservative for, for a hot second and while granted, you know, there wasn't any fear by that point of the team losing, it was still something where you're like, no, come like keep, there's no reason to ever take your foot off the gas pedal. Like if you can score points, score points. <laughs> like, yeah, they granted they didn't, you know, just they kind of, they only did that a bit, but, but yeah, I, I'm, I can't say I'm relaxed about anything, but I'm, I'm tentatively not uh, full of dread going into next weekend, which I can't say I felt a week previous to now. But yeah, it'll it'll take a couple more games of this being a sustained thing to to for me to breathe deeply again. 
Yeah, it feels like there are two components to it. There's the did the can the players play at this level consistently part, and there's the part of have the coaches learned their lesson. Uh, like, was this rounding a corner? You know, I, I think I'm more optimistic that about the players playing at a higher level. Like, totally, I don't yeah. I don't know exactly. I think it was some combination of the coaching and also just kind of being in a funk, like things just going badly and, and not recovering right away. But I, I, I don't expect uh, and also missing a bunch of important skill position players by for, to injuries to Sean McGrew not playing, uh, but it just having the right personnel playing better. Like, I think that stuff is sustainable. Yeah, I'm definitely. With you that I'm Completely. a little bit more concerned about whether the coaching staff has learned its lesson because it seemed like this lesson was there to have been learned many times before. Yeah. Like all through last year, we'd go back and forth between starting the game in like extremely painfully conservative play calling mode and then figure out, oh, we have to open it up a little bit and then it would get better. Yeah. It, like, yeah, is this just another version of that? Like, are we going to go back to doing that again this week where it's like, well, let's get back to our bread and butter. And then if we need to, we know we have it in our back pocket, which would be insane. But yeah. Like so much of it has seemed insane. Like fly the the offensive approach flying in the face of all statistical evidence, uh, being like if we throw downfield off a of play action, we're a lot more efficient yeah. <laughs> uh, and explosive, and doing it anyway. And anybody with eyes can see that. Um, part of the, the the change in that offensive output had to do with the the offensive line giving Dylan Morris a little bit more time. You know, that probably does go back to the play action. It does go back to receivers getting open. It goes back to Morris being more decisive. But there was also part of it that was just the line blocked better. I was surprised at how little push the Arkansas State defense gave uh, and how, how soft their zone defense was a lot of the time. Like, I, it was just really a poor defense. I mean, statistically, that's it is a poor defense. But <laughs> how much of the credit do you give to the personnel, like this was just a bad opponent versus actually elevating the level of play. Yeah. Um, I, I think first and foremost, this was the worst defense they played so far. Um, like I think Montana, when I, I wrote about this in my defense in preview that like I was watching Montana's three, three, five. And I'm like, when you're looking at their front, I mean, all of Montana's defense looked really great but especially their their front six the way that they disguised pressure and could kind of bring it from anywhere and could you do a whole bunch of different fronts and just kind of they just knew everything and moved so smoothly together I I mean I didn't think that we were going to lose to Montana but I I kind of especially with Julius Bulow like he had trouble and I kind of saw that if something was going to go wrong that would be especially where it would go wrong um, and then obviously Michigan is Michigan and they have that talent advantage and are and are known for most of the time playing good defense. Yeah, Arkansas State, it would be pretty hard to argue that they are not the worst defense. I mean, not hard to argue, impossible to argue that they're not the worst defense that we've played so far. But it, it, for what it's worth also, their defensive line, from what I saw going into this game, which granted they only had two two games going into it so that wasn't a lot to look at um their defensive line was their strength but that's mostly says more about their backs um back eight back seven depending on their uh formation at any given time just because their 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 issue that they had that i noticed was anytime you get somebody in space like they weren't very great at tackling or at making the right angles 
And so I was kind of watching their defense um, leading up to last week, looking at it and being like, oh, we could score 52 points or whatever we ended up scoring. But after seeing the first two weeks against Montana and Michigan, um, it was kind of like, well, we could, but we won't because we did, we had previously done exactly the thing that they could have stopped easily. And the thing that we should have done, which we did, is like, you know, you can just exploit that for days. Um, but yeah, so I, I think obviously there's the talent advantage UW has a, there's the fact that it's just plot that plus schematically an execution isn't very is isn't good but also th- this was kind of like what i expected from if you with uw's players i i don't really fear many teams in the country period uh which might sound kind of crazy but i think it's just a matter of whether their coaching staff can n- not revert back to their shell of insanity um and by the way when i say i don't fear any team that that's super corny I I just mean you know there's not a lot of teams where I feel like if we play like we could and call a game like we could that would it be a total you know blowout other than like Bama and Clemson and whatever and Montana um on the yeah just other than those three. <laughs> but on the other hand it does feel like there's a lot of teams a lot of teams we could there's very few teams I'm very comfortable about beating but there's very few teams that I like completely would feel like we had no chance provided the game plan and everything was actually called in a way that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just comes back to, I, I, I think they played better against an inferior opponent or they, they played better than they already had, even if it was against an inferior opponent. Um, so, you know, maybe we're not going to score 52 points or however many we did every game, but it should be better than 10 or whatever the hell. Yeah, I, I think the, the part my mind keeps going to this, it kind of treats it to be more binary than it needs to be. Totally, like it's yeah. not either we're better than the opponent, so we score 50 points, or we're worse than the opponent, or comparable to the opponent, so we score seven points or 10 points, which mm-hmm. is what we've seen so far this year. Like we played yeah. two defenses that were good and didn't do anything. We played one defense that was bad and destroyed them, but there is middle ground here. Like there are. Uh, you know, teams where sometimes we will punt the ball and other times we will sustain a drive. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I, I know that everyone else in the world is familiar with the, this duality, but we haven't seen it yet this year. Uh, hopefully, you know, this week we'll uh, bear that out. Although we'll talk about Cal a little bit later. Uh, they haven't really like covered themselves in glory defensively either. So hopefully this is the right place to find that uh, middle ground. The one other thing I, I want to talk about uh, about the offense, and we'll talk a little bit about the defense as well, but I want to talk about some of the like the game theory and the kind of like uh, palace intrigue around the coaching staff over the last week. There have been so many whispers. It's like a Game of Thrones thing. Uh, I think I was kind of interested last week in this spat about whether it made more sense for the offense to perform badly. So Donovan would get fired. Like, would we rather have a 17 to 10 win or would it be better to have a game like we had, or was there like some threshold where it's like, if we score 28, he'll keep his job, but it won't really prove that he can coach, but maybe 52 will prove it. Like, where do you fall on that? Is this, turnaround was this game enough for you to kind of provisionally have faith that we're not completely doomed with this coaching staff for the rest of the year uh well two things one again no until sample size until whatever arbitrary 
thing I, I uh, decide is enough sample size until that kicks in because I don't trust, co- I don't trust coaches. I don't, I don't trust, I, I don't trust middle-aged men that think they know a lot because a lot of times they do, but they still have blind spots. Voila. We, as we <laughs> just witnessed, but I also think there's something to be said about this. I think a lot of the like arguing on Twitter, etc., was like pretty made in bad faith by either well i don't know it is either made in bad faith of like i can't believe people want john donovan and everybody to fail so that whatever or it was made by people who are stupid um, <laughs> because like nobody wants our team to go oh and 12 but if you were presented with the evidence as we had been the first two weeks that like oh is this what we're gonna do all the time then if that's what you're going to do all the time, then that obviously can't be successful. On the other hand, like I, I, I enjoy good 50, whatever win. And if, 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 if this is a permanent shift, like if they do commit to, if, if they commit to this more balanced offensive philosophy moving forward, then obviously I, I would prefer that. Um, you know, granted then, but there's a whole different argument to be made past that about like the process of, of the offensive coordinator search, the process of going to John Donovan, who else did we have available? Um, you know, like the Kellen Moore, that whole debacle about whether how close we really were to signing or signing to, uh, you know, having him come onto the staff <laughs> um, and, and like Rhett Lashley and other people. So I think, I think those are kind of two different things. Like, obviously I want to see my my favorite childhood football team whoop ass and take names. Um, and if John Donovan and Jimmy Lake turn it around and can like, okay, awesome. Great. Um, it's just a matter of trusting whether or not they can. So I don't really think I have a side on that. Cause I think it's kind of a, a moot, a moot argument, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think if you asked me a week ago, like, would you rather John Donovan get fired now or like agree to ride out the rest of the season with him? I would have firmly come down on the fire him now oh, thing. Completely. If there's no middle ground, I, I still don't think he's like in the clear. Cause the season could still, you know, we're like in aggregate, we kind of have gone off the rails. Like <laughs> things are still quite bad over the course of the full season. It could yeah. get better if it does. I mean, Hey, bird in hand, he's there. Like if he continues to, game plan and call plays like they did this week i'll take it i'd be thrilled with that but yeah you're right i it's we just have to kind of take it game by game because any game could be extremely good or extremely bad and we just don't have enough of a track record to demonstrate that it's going to work out uh Mm -hmm. so yeah i think you're right it's it's kind of an unanswerable question um let's talk about the defense a little bit you know we've spent all this time talking about the changes offensively and uh the defense, now we've had, you know, two pretty good performances and one disastrous one, although it was disastrous when the rest of the game had also kind of gone to hell. So I, I, I think I take that with a bit of a grain of salt, the Michigan game. And Michigan might just have a really, really good offense, too, that plays into some of our defensive weaknesses. But speaking of those defensive weaknesses, uh, they, they didn't really show up in this Arkansas State game. You know, we could say, like, Arkansas State had a train wreck of a defense. The offense hadn't been bad coming into this game. It had been pretty good, scored 50 points the week before. 
This week they had 2.1 yards per carry in only one run over 10 yards the entire game. Like those were uh, the problems. I, I think this, I ask the same question here. Do you think the defense played better? Like were there systemic or personnel changes or was this just, you know, kind of playing an offensive line that isn't power five caliber for the first time? Yeah, I, I think I feel more about that. I think this is a more in my head, a more basic answer than the offensive stuff. Um, I think it was mostly just a talent thing. I mean, I don't get me wrong. Like I, I still think it's an impressive performance because um, like you said, Arkansas state, like they put up a crap load of points for two weeks in a row, granted against Memphis where they absolutely had to because Memphis just decimates people with their offense and then against an FCS team. But I, you know, I still think that's worth something, but it's also kind of, it kind of feels a little bit like apple cups where like they just happen to run an offense a they well they just happen to run an offense that plays very much into our hands plus the talent differential um I was there's two things one good one less so um I was pleasantly surprised by the by like Daniel Hamuli and and Carson Bruner which granted I wasn't paying elite attention to either of them so I'm sure if if there is a very strong chance that uh, if I rewatch that and really paid attention to both of them and watched each one of them every time they played or every snap they were in, I, there's a very good chance I would come away with a different uh, different takeaway. But that was kind of asterisk made me ha- made me a little bit feel a little bit satisfied by that. But that's like you know it's such a talent advantage that what can you really you know take away from that? I, I am still not super I wasn't super thrilled about the pass rush because even with that talent advantage it didn't it felt like a not <laughs> it felt like not not the standard you'd want to see it, it just kind of felt more like proof of oh we really can't wait to get ZTF back yeah, I, I'd also add with the, the pass rush I mean we're obviously very reliant on our outside linebackers of the pass rush and I thought Ryan Bowman played really well. Mm-hmm. He, you know, they, they were using a quarterback, uh, Blackman, who's, who is pretty, He's, pretty mobile. Yeah. Uh, for sure. And, and Bowman did a really good job of holding the edge when he did um, get some pressure and they forced him into a lot of questionable throws, even if they weren't getting home a lot. And it, it seemed like they kind of made a personnel decision uh, with, you know, more Cooper McDonald, uh, not a whole ton other than the one big return, not a ton of Braylon Trice, um, who probably would be the most explosive edge rusher mm-hmm. of that group. So maybe that was they, they were more concerned with allowing him out of the pocket and running yeah, around. Definitely. And they, if they're if he's going to stand back and throw errant passes for four yards per attempt, they'll they'll be happy to take that, even if they're not getting a ton of sacks. Um, I, I thought, you know, altogether, it was a pretty encouraging defensive uh, game. And I'd also add uh, both Sam Timani and Fatui Tuitelli were, were very solid up front after a couple of weeks of not looking that good against the run that even if it's against mm-hmm. a lesser opponent, holding up, getting penetration and just not giving them any lanes to run through is a positive step. You still have to do it against better competition, but being able to do it at all is the right first step. Step number one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you can't do it against a bad team, you're certainly not going to do it against a good team. So you have to <laughs> head in that direction, right? Put that on the family crest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I also think that's a good point about that. Um, 
the pass rush strategy. Like you're definitely, I mean, if you've watched James Blackman at Florida state and now, you know, like he, yeah, that's a guy you want to hit contain on. So I think that's what, I think what you said is, is true to an extent for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, pass rush is part of overall pass defense and you know, the overall pass defense was very good. They threw the mm-hmm. ball. I don't know how many times, 50 ish times. And it was just kind of all over the place and weren't mm-hmm. able to sustain drives. So however we got there, I will take it. Um, that's probably enough talk about the poor, poor red wolves. Uh, it feels good to be uh, on the other side of this, this week after a couple of really depressing weeks. So let's take a quick break. We're going to talk about Cal. Uh, we'll touch on a few other things in the pack 12 and we will give our recommendations after the break. Welcome back. Let's talk about the upcoming home game against the Cal Bears on Saturday night. This has been a house of horrors the last couple weeks, or the last couple times we played Cal. You know, certainly aren't any massive thunderstorms in the forecast for this Saturday. In fact, it looks pretty nice. But Cal is a little bit more unpredictable. Uh, They've had a a very up and down season offensively. Uh, Garbers has been all over the place. Pretty solid, but, you know, at times also looking terrible. Uh, they've leaned heavily on the run game, and they've been pretty effective at it. Damian Moore has been the number one runner. Uh, Christopher Brooks, who used to be known as Christopher Brown, uh, is he's a big power back, 230 pounds or so. Uh, it's a good run game. Uh, we were just talking on the other side of the break about the defensive line holding up a little bit better against a poor uh, opponent. Do you have any faith that uh, our defense will be able to hold up against Cal or is this going to be kind of a giving up 200 yards, not being able to get off the field sort of performance? Yeah. I, I mean, part of this is just being so shell shocked from the last, what, three years minus last year of, of uh, Cal games and just how like absolutely psychotic they've been. Um, so I don't feel like I have the ability to have clear judgment, but I feel like the irony with Cal is that they look, at least for the first three games, they look not super great or at least not consistent. And yet it still feels like they are exactly the kind of team that could mess with us. Like, ironically, I, I assume you're, we're going to talk about the defense in a sec, but like their, their offense is like you said, not, it's kind of inconsistent, but they're like, okay, you have Christopher Brooks, who's just going to smash through everyone and they're there. I don't know what I don't like haven't game charted them or anything, but I feel like their identity is is definitely like run first, lowercase run first, I guess, and just kind of demoralize you on the ground. And then Chase Garbers like kind of reminds me of a, of a bigger Tyler Huntley almost in that he's not like this elite passer, but he's he's good and good enough to make everything else function. And I feel like if you have a run game, like they do, that just, just wears you out. And then you have a guy who's like good enough at passing, but more than anything can just kind of almost do what like my, my Oregon frenemies at the quack 12 podcast have said about Jake Browning, where you like thought you think you're going to get him. And then he's just mobile enough to be like, no, bye. And so I feel like I'm just having these like, horror horror daydreams right now of us getting to like third and six and then they have to pass and then the and then chase garbers can scramble for seven yards and then they run the first two get to third and five or whatever you know like those kinds of drives where like 
you know, where you keep getting them to third down, but you can't finish it off. And that, you know, I'm not saying that's inevitable, but that keeps on popping up in my head and I don't love it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, a, a good description of Garbers that he's, he's not great at anything, but he is balanced and he's competent enough that you can't sell out mm-hmm. entirely against the run. You can't just like loaded up the box and say we're playing man on the outside and our safeties not that our defensive strategy is ever to just bring all the both safeties into the box but if we did want to do that he probably would have the wherewithal to put together a you know 250 yard passing game or something to actually make it a problem and I do worry about the the run defense because this Cal Cal hasn't played exceptional uh defenses TCU's the best team they've played against and they were they scored uh, 32 points in a loss, and they moved the ball reasonably well. But the TCU is not an elite team, and uh, there's not a lot to go on. Kind of in the same sense of like, okay, we've seen you do it against mediocre teams. Can you do it against good teams? Uh, the same question that applies to both our offense and defense applies yeah. to Cal's offense. Um, it, so I think there's a big question mark there. Uh, about what do we really expect from their offense? They will run the ball. They they will use multiple backs. They will, you know, pass when they have to, but it won't be their first option. Uh, but the, you know, so it kind of, we don't know what to expect, except that it has the shape of something that has been mm-hmm. problematic before. So, mm-hmm. you know, we are going to have to raise the level of performance defensively, uh, particularly against the run, if we're going to force Garbers to have to do more than he's really capable yeah. of doing effectively and I think it also he's kind of similar to James Blackman as well as like you can't really you you have to focus so much on containing him even though he is a pass first quarterback that like you really can't just have one guy out there who's just letting it rip to go you know go put a lot of pressure on him because you just have to be like no stay in stay in your pocket stay in the pocket stay in the oh he threw it okay whatever yeah you know right yeah, and and I've always had this weird like, this problem with Garbers that every time it seems like he's on the verge of breaking through and they're they're about to turn a corner and become a real contender, the team falls on its face. And every mm-hmm. time they're they really look like they're in a tough spot and they're they're not going to be successful or they're they're bottoming out like last year when they were zero and three, then they beat Oregon and you know suddenly they they play really well. So I mean, having lost already in an embarrassing loss to Nevada, losing to TCU, and then not really playing that well against Sacramento State, at least not defensively. This is the perfect time for them to just be like, oh, uh, you thought that you had us figured out. Yeah. But we're going to do the exact opposite. And yeah. I, I've had that feeling about Carver's his whole career. Like that is that is so, so very accurate. They, they're like if the Pac-12 was one team. Yeah. It would, yeah. Be, it would be them. Yeah. Well, I feel like USC is, has carried that as well. The the part about just being like, no, this time we really are going to be good. No, no, no. <laughs> We're going to yeah, just get bludgeoned by Stanford. Yeah. It's a, some combination of those two. Yeah. I think yeah. USC has, has so much talent that like, that the, I don't know why we're just going into this tangent on which what's the best metaphor that like it would be one thing if all of the Pac-12 school, all of the Pac-12 had was just overloaded with talent and still shat the bed. That's why I think Cal Cal is our best yeah. representative. That's that's fair. Yeah, um, yep. yeah, it's it's like one of those memes. It's like how you see yourself, how other people. See. <laughs> mm-hmm. Pac-12 exactly. wants to be USC, but is actually Cal. Yep. yep. Uh, let's talk about the defense a little bit. I think Justin Wilcox has developed a reputation. Obviously, he's a defensive coordinator before he's a head coach. 
they've had some good defenses in the past. This year has not lived up to that standard, not really even close. I would say if there's one thing Cal's defense has been known for under Wilcox, it's just having an endless assembly line of crazy athletic playmakers in the secondary. And they haven't been doing that this year. They've, they've been giving up over 300 yards per game uh, through the air. Last week, Sacramento State threw for over 400 yards against them, although a lot of that was playing from behind and just airing it out. Even so, it's it's problematic. Do you, have you been able to see any of Cal's defense this year? Does this look like a different team to you? I, I saw them play against TCU and they couldn't get off the field. It was almost the inverse of what you were just describing uh, Garber's doing where you think you've shut them down and then the opposing quarterback uh, scrambles for a first down or there's some broken play and they convert it. Uh, a lot of that going against Cal's defense, which is very uh, anathema to the to their discipline that we've seen in past years. So I, I'm I'm curious to see if this defense kind of reverts to form or if it continues to struggle, any insight on your end from what you've seen so far? Yeah. Well, if they're going to, it would be against us because yeah. why, why, like, why not? But yeah, I, I, I think it's so interesting though. Also the fact that they have seemingly regressed a little bit this year. Cause like they, if you look at their, their depth chart, it's so many names that you recognize and so many guys who are like redshirt seniors, uh, you have Luke Beckett, who's a hundred years old. He is what Kevin Thompson was last year. Uh, he is the same grade of high school class as Jake Browning because um, of the red shirt and then a COVID year and then blah, blah, blah. And I think maybe there was an injury in there, medical red shirts in there. Yeah, and he point. transferred to Boston College Boston and then College, transferred back and then to Cal. Back. It's a saga. But yeah, so you have like guys like him and like Coin Dang and um, Cameron Good, like yeah. a lot of names when you read down that, that you're like, oh, this dude who I've seen for like a hundred years straight when their defense was pretty darn good. And, and uh, granted, I haven't, I haven't started doing my defensive, excuse me, defensive preview for them this week yet because I have actual work, but it is kind of mystifying. And of course, but, but because of that, when you look at who they are and that, that it feels like a matter of time before they kind of clamp things down and get it figured out again. And of course that's going to happen this weekend. Although I think, I think part of it, significant bit of it is uh, Tim DeRoyter going up to Oregon, right? Yep. That's right. Am yeah. I saying that right? Yeah. Yep. Um, DeRoyter, DeRoyter, however you say it, it's Dutch. Um <laughs> No one knows how to say Dutch names. The Dutch yeah. don't know how to say them. No. Dutch is what people, Dutch sounds like what people think German sounds like. It's insane. It's a stupid language. I love it. Um, what was I talking about? Oh yeah. So I think, I think, I think that part of it is like an adjustment period of, of just like losing him. Um, but then I, I also, part of it is just that part of it is mystifying. I don't know. And then part of it, because you look at their personnel, it feels like inevitable that they're going to, get good again <laughs> yeah it, it sometimes it does take time when there have been disruptions for a team to kind of round into form especially you know if they have a, a pretty good coach hopefully that coaching is meaning something and actually developing the players and they've lost a couple of uh, defensive backs Jalen Hawkins is in the NFL now uh, Cameron Bynum is in the NFL they're both drafted over the last couple of years mm -hmm. and you know Cal isn't we were just talking about Cal isn't USC there's not just like uh, backfilling talent 
at the same level forever. They actually have to develop players and find uh, talented players to plug in. And, and it seems like they haven't done it yet, but that doesn't mean they can't uh, turn the corner by continuing to develop guys. Um, you know, maybe it's to our advantage that we catch them fairly early in the season before they've turned that corner, but it also could be the quarter turning moment, like you said. So we shall see. <laughs> oh, I hate that thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was Altogether, a pretty bad week in the Pac-12. There are a lot of, you know, poor performances out of the conference. I, I was particularly disappointed with Arizona State and their 17 penalties losing to BYU. I thought that was an opportunity to be one of the bright spots in the conference. But, you know, maybe when half of your coaching staff is suspended, it starts to show up when you do things like commit four false starts on the same drive. Uh, were there any, any particularly bad uh, Pac-12 highlights lowlights that that caught your eye over the weekend i mean the answer is northern arizona beating arizona like that's worse than uw losing to montana because at least uw losing to montana a montana is a good fcs team and no one think that please if you're listening to this do not think i'm making excuses but at least it's it's a good fcs team with a scheme that happens to perfectly line them up for uw Northern Arizona. Now, I don't know exactly what level, like what their standard is or what they're supposed to look like this year, but I do know what their standard is and it is not super great. <laughs> like I never hear them. You never really hear about them as contenders in the big sky or anything, whatever. The, that is, that it's, it has to be them beating Arizona. I mean, I, I, right before the season started, I saw someone on Twitter, like some, I think it was a UCLA fan, argue that Arizona wasn't, in fact, and I'm using his words, dog shit. Um, it was just bad circumstances last year. And I was, just, at the time, I was like, oh, I don't know about that. And now I feel very vindicated. Well, I think this, this kind of gives you a, a snapshot of Northern Arizona. They opened the season against Sam Houston State, who's kind of a perennial top 10, top mm-hmm. five. FCS team and lost 42 to 16. Then they played South Dakota, who's easily the fourth best team from a Dakota and lost (laughs) 34 to seven. So they were playing that's, I mean, South Dakota's a bottom half of their conference FCS team and they beat Northern Arizona 34 (laughs) to seven and Arizona the very next week lost to Northern Arizona. So yeah, I think that that's a uh, probably true that that is the lowest of the low lights. It, I was also I mean, it, it, like everywhere you think there's going to be a bright spot. Like I mentioned the Arizona state thing and UCLA. I, I don't even, I, I watched some of that game and it just kept like, okay, is this where you're going to turn it around? Is this where you're going to turn <laughs> it around? And they just couldn't get any momentum whatsoever against uh, uh, Fresno and, and, towards the end they finally did get going and then immediately let Hayner drive back down the other side of the field with his arm dangling out of his shoulder yeah his hip uh, was exploded yeah <laughs> like he couldn't even stand up anymore he was just like I don't know it looked like a marionette like one of those old yeah uh, puppets on the strings and one yeah. side of it the string broke and he was just collapsed over the side of it so altogether really bad I, we didn't even mention Colorado getting like eight yards of offense Against <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Oh, that's up there. Team. It's just bad across the board. You really, know, I, really ugly. I feel way. This is this is my thing with college football. Is it is the dumbest sport? It, like you can't you can't argue that there's you can't argue that it isn't just just this just so stupid. And that's why it's amazing. 
And so I'm like, if we're going to be miserable, it is fun to just, just to take in the stupid chaos and suckage that is literally everybody every there's no good football team there's no good college football team except for whichever team it is that's coached by the guy who doesn't punt they're the only and bishop sycamore <laughs> i think montana montana and montana great. no i you're right i think these Obviously. years are fun when when nothing so is particularly dumb. good and we just like circle on everybody's yeah. fatal flaws and who's yeah. like achilles heel snaps in half first um, let's let's stop talking about the Pac-12. Maybe this week will be better, or if if not, at least it can be equally hilarious. If I were a gambling woman, I'd say it won't be. <laughs> and I well, am. though actually, counterpoint, it can't. I just knocked on wood. It, it probably can't get worse. It can although... only be as bad. Well, it can't be worse because teams are starting to play conference games. Oh, I that's think, a good point. Yeah, there are only yeah Run six games there. this week, and they're all head to head conference games, so Touché. we can't lose. Back. It, the Pac-12 is not going to lose to an FCS team this week. You can lock that in. Absolute certainty. Um, let's talk about uh, recommendations and plugs. I think you had something that you were going to plug for an acquaintance or a friend. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm a big into nepotism. Uh, is it nepotism if they're not your family? No. no whatever. I don't know what it's called. Okay, it's cronyism? Not cronyism. Cronyism. There we go. I'm big into cronyism. Uh, so, yeah, I have... so. I, I think I mentioned this um, in passing when we were like in my plug during the Danielle Laurie episode that a standup is coming back, although the comedy underground closed, which sucks because it was the only club that I truly loved. And every other of my favorite shows were like independent. But uh, like, uh, my friend Robert, who ran was the was uh, ran a lot of their works there. Um, he has partnered with Hales Ales in Ballard to start up the Ballard Comedy Club up in their little loft space, if you've ever been there. And they're, they're running every, shows every day, except for Tuesdays. Um, Thursday through Sunday are their headliners, uh, for the most part. And it, I, I had done, I've done a, I did a show there like before COVID, before it was like a like a six days a week thing when it was just like a monthly show up there. Um, and it's a really great space. And uh, he is a good booker and is good at running shit. Um, I'll, I'll be there in the future, but not anytime right now. Cause I haven't really gone up anywhere other than twice in August. Uh, but so there's that. So if you're like in Ballard or any, you know, anywhere really and want to like do stuff, uh, highly recommend that uh Hales Ales Ballard Comedy Club duo and then also this was like a year and a half ago I plugged um, the album release for uh Taylor Clark who is a very funny um comedian from from over this way um and he recently it, long weird siding story um that involves skateboarding but he <laughs> got he has a show coming out i don't really know where you can watch it actually because i just skimmed his post about it but uh he has a show coming out it's called comedians comedians on skateboards or something it's pretty it's pretty much like comedians in cars getting coffee but less douchebaggy and i say that as someone who it's comedians in cars getting coffee was for a while like quite a big guilty pleasure of mine or comfort food i should say um but like his first episode's coming out I think on Thursday, September 23rd, um, with Mark Normand 
and I saw like 45 seconds of it and it looked pretty funny and dorky. Um, and he's a super funny dude and is um, just, you should support him. You, I say you should support him like it's a charity. You should listen to him because you will enjoy it. Um, he also, his album, like I plugged it a year or two ago, is out on Spotify. Um, but yeah, so that's Taylor Clark, Comedians on Skateboards or something, or maybe it's Comedians in Skate Parks. I don't remember, but uh, look up him, look up that, that show and his, uh, his special or his album, because you just should trust me. Um, yeah. So those are my two. Those are my two. They're all, all stand-up based. It's very good. Yeah. I, this, this might work or relate to some of the people who listen to our podcast, but I just finished reading a memoir by uh, Levon Helm, the drummer from the band, the band. Uh, yeah, people know the band uh book is called this wheel is on fire it's just the, the, his you know autobiography growing up it's not a new book it was written 25 years ago but there was a lot in it that i didn't know about and it's one of those books where you forced me to do the really annoying thing where whoever i'm talking to i just had to be like did you know that most of the band didn't even want to do the last waltz and like tell a story that i read in the mm-hmm. book yeah. Uh, and there was one very great story in it about how one of uh, the members of the band, Rick Danko, the the bass player, uh, was trained as a butcher before he became a professional musician. And when they were living in upstate New York, he hit a deer with his car and they tried to string it up in a tree so he could butcher the deer and get the the meat to bring to a restaurant to have them make venison stew for him. Uh, but he he wasn't used to cleaning the animals. He just did the actual like portioning out uh, mm-hmm. the meat. So he couldn't, he was struggling to get the guts out. And uh, he at, at some point, the branch that it was hanging from broke. Oh, and no. the, like the colon and the intestines just exploded. No, 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 no. Completely <laughs> covered him in uh, deer feces. Oh, Jesus. It was just so disgusting, but it was a very funny story. Anyway, very cool book. It's called This Wheels on Fire by LeVon Helm. Uh, if That's... you're into old music, I mean, they're, they're super influential, important band. Yeah. Probably doesn't like have the same resonance on like classic rock radio, but, uh, and lots of great Bob Dylan anecdotes too. So anytime people start telling weird stories about Bob Dylan creeping around in a hooded sweatshirt, it's probably going to end really well. Yeah, generally speaking. That's perfect timing too, because I made a venison, uh, took took a, an old venison shank and made made a stew out of it yesterday. So um and also so I, yeah. colon was already removed. Yeah, yeah. The colon colon free, man. They make colon uh like colonless deer now. They go next to the boneless chicken, they yeah. rule. No yeah. poop in your food, which is ideal. Um also I just looked it up and it's it's comedi- comedians at skate parks. Um, and the first episode is on Thursday with him and Mark Norman as a guest. Um, so yeah, where's <laughs> it on I YouTube? Check. Um, I will look that up <laughs> and I will include it in our post. So if you're I, listening to this on like a podcast thing and not from our website, which I assume you are because you're not a weirdo, um, go to yeah, you know, go to UW Dog Pound website and find our post, and I'll I'll include uh where you can watch it and not just here's the name good luck <laughs> sounds great yeah, I, yeah. I if i'm one of those people that thinks if i have a question somebody else probably has it too and mm-hmm. i found myself saying sounds cool how do i watch it yeah so, no 
Yeah. Maybe we'll find out. All right. That <laughs> as we bumble our way through our recommendations. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. Uh, things are better this week. Hopefully it'll get even better next week. When we come back, hopefully we'll really max out, have Cody Pickett himself on the podcast. Ooh. So thanks for listening and go dogs. Go Malamutes. <laughs> <laughs>